So it's good to see everybody this morning. Um, The book of Acts in the New Testament chronicles the beginnings of the church in the early decades of how the church spread through all, all the Roman Empire and in parts of the world that we would have never expected the gospel to reach in that short amount of time. In the first two chapters specifically, Luke tells about the birth of the church. Just seven weeks after Jesus' crucifixion, hundreds of thousands of Jewish believers were coming to the city of Jerusalem to celebrate one of the seven high and holy festivals that God had ordained. They were coming to Jerusalem to celebrate Pentecost. They had specific plans. They had things they were going to do. And all that got hijacked one day when Peter stood up on the porch of the temple and talked to the people and gave the first gospel message. He talked to them about the love and the grace and the forgiveness of God that is ours through the death and resurrection of Jesus. And the Bible records for us that the people who believed what Peter had said were baptized and added to the church that day. About 3,000 people. Now, I've given some good messages before, but that's a lot of people to cross the line of faith from one talk, right? And Jews had practiced this ordinance of baptism before this day. They knew exactly what they were committing to, what they were doing, what it meant to be baptized. If someone had lived outside the Jewish faith all their life and wanted to become a follower of Judaism, they were baptized. And by that symbolic and spiritual statement, they were saying, whatever faith, whatever system or structure has guided my life to this point, I'm renouncing that of my own free will, of my own volition. I'm abandoning that. And I'm saying that with the rest of my life, I want to be of the Jewish faith. I want to follow the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So when they made this decision on the day of Pentecost, these converts to Judaism and the people born into Judaism were making a huge decision. This was a hard reset on their entire life. The 3,000 new believers baptized at Pentecost were renouncing their Jewish faith, a faith that had guided them, guided their families for generations. And they were publicly declaring, I want to devote the rest of my life to following Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God, the Messiah. So I think there are going to be times in every one of our lives where we need a hard reset. It may be spiritually like those uh, folks who listened to Peter's talk on the day of Pentecost. It could be spiritually, it could be physically, it could be emotionally, relationally. We need some kind of a reset because life has a way of filling up. I mean, you, you wake up one day, you look at your calendar and go, how did I get so busy? How did I get these meetings when I'd rather do this or this, this vacation when I'd rather? I just need a reset. You know, depending on what stage of life you find yourself in this morning, you may have kids, a job, a mortgage, a marriage, and a puppy all screaming for your attention before breakfast, right? It's just hectic. And then we add to that in our life the bells that ring and the chimes that ding and the overall sense of urgency that technology brings. And it just begins to feel like everybody needs a little piece of us all at the same time, and it's all pressing in on us. And we can go through life at a chaotic pace. And then one day we have some kind of an event or a season comes along. And we realize that something is not right. Life is jammed up a bit. And and we feel a bit like our smartphones when they lock up. 
And you have to figure out how to hard reset them to take them back to normal. So for Connie and I, even though we're empty nesters now, September tends to be one of those seasons where at least I look at my life and I go, I I need to reset some things. The summer months are great. This isn't a bash on the summer months at all because they provide us a great opportunity for impromptu gatherings and what I like to call spontaneous spending, right? And we all do it. Summer's not bad. It's just different. You know, the, the kids are out of school, and so you sleep in a little bit some days. You, your diet becomes a lot of burgers and corn on the cob because it's summer, right? And we slip out of some of the habits and practices that are normally there in our life. And September has always, for me, been a month that calls me to pay attention, to return to some structure, to return some life-giving, healthy practices, to reset. And so for the next two Sundays, we're going to take a look at a couple of areas in our life where we may find ourselves needing to do a reset. We're going to examine uh, two specific areas that get jammed up and jacked up and out of whack or simply get lost in our everyday life, good or bad. And if we get these two things right, then I believe a lot of the problems and pressures in life will resolve themselves. And both weeks, we're going to ask the really tough question, Do I need a hard reset in this area in my life? Next week, Lance is going to dig into our relationships with others. Today, we're going to do a deep dive into seeing if we need a reset in our relationship with God. I don't know uh, what it's like for you when you go to your doctor, but my doctor, every time I go, even if I'm back three days later for a check-in on what I was there three days before, they always do one thing. You know, the nurse calls me back and she starts running through my vital signs. She checks my temperature, my pulse, my breathing, my blood pressure. Why? Because medical science has proved that checking and keeping a regular tab on those four things can tell you if something's out of line in your body or if you're headed for trouble in some area. In many ways, I think it's healthy for us to develop a spiritual vital signs list, things we can look at on a regular basis and see if there's an indicator that we have a problem in our relationship with God. It may be even when I look at the vital signs that I realize I'm blowing off some character issues in my life that God's calling me to look at, but I'm just avoiding them. And those spiritual vital signs, just like our physical vital signs, if we don't pay attention to them, we do it at our own peril. In his account of the early church, I think Luke gives us Four vital signs that we need to pay attention to in our relationship with God. And he writes them out like this. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. He starts off by saying they were devoted. To get a sense of what that really means, I just want to ask you a question. I'm going to ask you to raise your hands, do it, do it proudly. How many of you have taken music lessons at some point in your life? Yeah, it's almost all of us, right? The, the question isn't, did you take lessons? The question is, were you devoted to learning that instrument? Did you sit down on a daily basis or twice a day and run through the scales to learn how to play? Did you practice without being nagged by your parents? Did you become masterful over time at playing that instrument? How many of you would say you did that and you were devoted to learning to play that instrument? Yeah, a whole lot less of us. A whole lot of us then just dabbled 
in the instrument, right? We, we practiced when it was comfortable. We practiced when we felt like it. Maybe, maybe more accurately, we practiced when there was a concert or a performance coming and we needed to have our stuff together. We dabbled in the instrument while the others, like the five in the room who got good at it, they actually were devoted to it. Luke says these early Christians were devoted. They got a mastery of some basic things in the Christian faith. They didn't dabble. They were continually doing them. And so as we walk through these four areas this morning, I want to ask you to do something. Just be honest with yourself. You're not going to share it with the people around you unless you want to. You're not going to be asked to, like, turn these in and we'll get a cumulative score for the church. I just want you to think about these four things in light of, am I dabbling or am I devoted to this? And give yourself, like, a one-to-five scale. We'll have it up on the screen. Find a space in your program. Uh, find a space on the connection card that's in the program. Uh, if you're gentle and careful, you can actually write it on the back of the neck of the person in front of you, so you can just have it right there to look at. That's your call, all right? So here's four areas that we're going to look at. The first one is, Luke says, the early believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, for them, there was no Bible. I mean, the church was just days old, and so there was no New Testament, There were no writings about the teachings of Jesus. They had to lean into the apostles themselves to tell them what Jesus taught when he was with them. And I think a significant chunk of the content came in those 40 days that Jesus met and trained them after he resurrected and before he went back to heaven. The apostles were the only source of knowledge for these people of what Jesus taught. And whatever the content was... You get the sense from reading Acts chapter 2 that the people were obsessed with it. They met, in those teachings, they met the one person who offered hope for this life and confidence for the life beyond like no one else had ever done. They were hungry for the teaching. They couldn't get enough of it. Let me just simply ask, how's that going for you? We have the written New Testament in front of us. We have it in a way that we can connect with it electronically or on paper all the time. How devoted are we to Jesus' teaching as recorded in the Bible? So are you so connected to Scripture that when you wake up in the morning, the first words that come out of your mouth are, this is the day the Lord has made. I'll rejoice and be glad in it. I talked about this with a friend one time, and he said, you know, a lot of people wake up and say, Good morning, Lord. That's how they start their day. It's not me. I just don't wake up easy. So my first thoughts in the morning are, good Lord, it's morning. They're there, just wrong sequence. When you get slighted, when you get cheated, when somebody ticks you off, is your first response in your anger, don't sin. When somebody cuts you off on the Eisenhower, what do you say to them? I mean, do you quote Scripture and go, get behind me, Satan? Let me say, that could be helpful. It's, it's a lot more useful than what you're saying right now to them, I think. What goes through your mind? Seriously, the issue here is something is going to go through our mind when we enter tough times, when we're in the good times. What's going to go through our mind? What do you want it to be? And the more connected we are to God through his scripture, the more our thoughts are going to fall in line with spiritual maturity, with the things God encourages us to think about and act out in our lives. So here's the question. Are you devoted to 
Or are you dabbling in Scripture? Give it a one to five rating there. Dabblers will neglect the Bible. Dabblers will always find something more important to do, something better to do than to sit down and engage God in his word. Dabblers get careless about what we feed our mind. Or are you devoted? Do you have this regular plan to read and memorize Scripture? Are you embedding it in your hearts? Do you follow, not perfectly, do you follow some sort of a plan to consistently engage in God's word? So give yourself a rating on that one. The second vital sign that Luke points out is he said uh, they devoted themselves to fellowship. Now, the, the word fellowship is kind of an old word. I hear somebody use it today, and I think of like church in the 60s and 70s, you know, when I was growing up. Uh, I don't hear it used a lot today. And because of that, I have this very specific image in my mind of what fellowship is. So when I hear fellowship, I think of gathering in our church basement at home, having a pitch-in dinner, and just hanging out, eating, and talking, right? And there are, for me, very specific foods tied to fellowship. I can't find it in Scripture, but I'm confident every fellowship I've ever been at had a giant ham on the table. I mean, I don't know if it was because the Jewish believers were so excited to be out from under that restriction they couldn't get enough ham in their life. I don't know what it was, but there was ham. Then there was also that green bean casserole. You know the one I mean? A nasty, sloppy thing that was green beans and cream of mushroom soup and dirty onions. Don't make that, please, anymore. Just let it go from your recipes that you've got. And then there was always this jello salad thing, right? I never knew if it was a salad or a dessert because it was like a layer of pretzel crust that was salty and sweet. And then there was this layer of unknown white substance spread over top of the pretzel crust. Nobody knew what it was. Nobody would tell. And there was red jello on top of it. It was just a part of every fellowship I went to. So that's what I get in mind when I think of fellowship. Anybody with me on that? Some of you are nodding your heads. There is a depth to this word fellowship that goes way beyond sharing a meal together. The Greek word is koinonia. And you may have heard that before. Every time koinonia is used in the New Testament, it points to Christians sharing something with each other. Sharing life experiences, good or bad. Sharing possessions with someone in need. If you look at all 19 times this word is used in the New Testament, it gives a texture to the word koinonia that simply says they were doing all of life, sharing all of life with each other as believers. So here's the question with fellowship. Is the depth of your relationship with God having an impact on your relationships with other people? Is it taking those relationships to a deeper level of openness and sharing? When Jesus is the top priority in our lives, we engage in the celebrations and the challenges of life with those around us as a community. When they hit tough times, we don't walk up to them and say, hey, you know what? I'm walking away from you because you've got a lot of crap going on in your life right now. We don't do that. We hang with them no matter what. And that's what happened in the early church. Luke goes on after what we read earlier and describes that hanging with each other this way. He says, all the believers met together in one place and they shared everything they had. They sold their property and their possessions and shared the money with those in need. You you got a need in your life? I've got something that could help with that. It's yours. They were open. 
They worshiped together at the temple every day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper. They shared their meals with great joy. And then I think the key word in all of this is they shared with generosity. And they had so much time together throughout the course of their ordinary life that they got authentic about what was going on spiritually, physically, financially, relationally. They did the real stuff of life with each other. I'm happy I've been a part of Westridge now for over 13 years. I love this church, and I have from the beginning loved the authenticity and the grace that I've found here. More than any other church I've ever been a part of in my life, I've been allowed to not just be a pastor here, but to just be me. With all my warts and bumps and bruises, I've been able to be myself with community groups, with serving teams, just doing life with people. There are people in this church who know me well and love me anyway. Got anybody like that in your life? We need those kinds of people. If we're going to make it through this life with our faith intact, we need each other. We need that kind of fellowship, that deep fellowship where we can come to a group of people that we love and trust who are believers and say to them, look, Here's where I screwed up this week. Here's what I'm struggling with. And it can be financially. It can be anger. It can be in our sexuality. It can be in a relationship with our spouse, with our work, with our kids. It can be anything. We've got the freedom to talk about where we mess things up in our life. And beyond that, we give the freedom in that same group to come back at us, even when we think we're okay, and challenge our behavior, challenge our values, challenge the 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 priority we're placing on money or how we're prioritizing relationships with our wife or our kids or our friends. I need somebody, and we all do, in our lives that will help us sort this thing out. We need a depth of fellowship that grants that permission. So the question is, where are you on this scale? Are you dabbling in fellowship? Do you come to church when it's convenient? Do you come to church after the Bears lose their fourth game of the season, which should be in two weeks? Or maybe you come to church on a regular basis, but you're not connecting with other believers beyond a Sunday morning. You don't let people get close to you. You don't have a place to open up and talk about or get accountable for your relationship with God and others. Or are you devoted to fellowship? You have a group of people around you who are authentic, who are grace-filled, who are fun, and who are following Christ. People like that who are devoted to fellowship don't put up with any of these lingering resentments that often get in our relationships. They don't put up with the idea that we can get passive-aggressive or silently withdraw or judge people. They confront those things head-on because they value the relationship and they don't want anything to get in there and mess it up. People who are devoted to fellowship regularly say, I'm sorry. They say, will you forgive me? And they say, I love you. So are you dabbling or are you devoted in fellowship? Give yourself a rating. The third thing Luke points to is that they were devoted to sharing meals together. Now, for centuries, scholars have debated the phrasing there in the Greek. And is Luke talking about a simple meal where they just get together and eat and have fellowship? Or is he talking about celebrating the Lord's Supper together? This translation, the New Living Testament, has opted to include both. 
And so they put in parentheses, including the Lord's Supper, where others just leave it ambiguous. And the truth is, they did both, sometimes in the same setting. That seems to be indicated later in the passage when Luke says they met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. Having people into your home, if you've ever had more than just a couple of people in your home, is always a fun experience for me. I hope it is for you too. We share life, we share laughter, we share chaos, and we share all the good stuff that can happen when people are together. And I've just learned in time doing this that things seldom go according to plan. The food isn't done when you think it'll be done. And some of it gets burned before some of it gets cooked because you get distracted talking to people. And chaos happens in the house. You know, the kids misbehave and the dog throws up. Or the kids throw up and the dog misbehaves. I mean, any given day, it could be either way. Being generous with our lives requires us to let go of a measure of control and just be together. We get together over a meal. We share deeper conversations about life. And sometimes we just laugh and talk, and it's not a deep conversation. At times also, in addition to doing this, the early church would celebrate communion together as a common celebration of the grace that they share in Christ. I am convinced that communion was never intended to be just a Sunday thing for us. And I think the early church did it as often as they got together. I've had the privilege of participating in some incredible communion services that were in a small group setting on a Thursday night. Or I've had that same experience at a men's retreat or a couple's retreat where we shared communion together and it was rich and full. But honestly, the one time that I look back over the 50 plus years that I've been following Jesus and I go, this was the one that stood out the most. It was um, a friend of mine. I was in a rough time. Um, going through some challenges. And he said, you know, let's just get you out of this and go somewhere. So we went fishing and camping for a weekend. And by the time we got from Friday night to Sunday morning, I wasn't even thinking about church anymore. So Sunday morning, we went out on the lake. The sun was rising. The lake was like a sheet of glass. We got to where we were going to start fishing, and, and you know, he shut off the motor, and we started messing in our tackle box, getting our lines ready to go. And he was taking a little longer, you know, like he was struggling with something. I just watched him for a second, and he turned around, and on the top of his tackle box, he had, you know, the bread for communion and the juice for communion. And I'll be honest, there was a little worm guts mixed in with it, but it's okay because we were fishing. But he looked at me and he said, this morning I'm your pastor, and we're just going to celebrate God's grace together before we wet a fishing line. It was a huge gift to me. In that setting, I've never forgotten it. Luke says that they shared meals and communion together on a regular basis. And I think it points to that last word he uses in that phrase when he says it was all about their generosity with their life. They were open with their homes, open with their hearts. They shared everything, life, food, faith. It was all common to them. So here's the question. Are you generous with the life God has given you? So rate yourself on a one to five. Dabblers will be resistant. There will always be something that keeps us from sharing, you know. Uh, My house is dirty. I don't have a lot of food in the house. I mean, we're not ready for company. My life is so busy. If those are the things that come out of you when you're thinking about sharing your life, could be your dabbling. 
Or are you devoted? Devoted people look for ways to share whatever God has given them, large or small home, home-cooked meal or Chinese takeout, just for the opportunity to be together and take it beyond Sunday morning church. The fourth thing, then, that Luke points to is that they were devoted to prayer. And the key question for us with prayer is not how we pray or what we pray, but are we in this, com- this continual communication with God? As you read through the book of Acts, that's the picture that emerges of not just the apostles, but all the early Christians. They were devoted to this continual, interactive, participative engagement with God. They prayed when they were together and when they were alone. They prayed when they woke up in the morning and before they went to bed at night and all the way in between. They prayed at the start of the day and the end of the day when they were in trouble and needed help or when they needed to resolve something in their life and they couldn't figure it out or when they were blessed and they needed to show gratitude. Why did they pray? Why do we need to pray? We don't do it as an obligation or to Check something off our daily spiritual to-do list. Why pray? Because we've come to the conclusion that we're not in control of the universe. And our pattern of self-sufficiency and self-reliance isn't a good life strategy. We begin to pray when we're convinced that God exists, God listens, God cares, God responds, and God is able to meet our needs. Why pray? Because the greatest intimacy with God comes through prayer. If you want to find out if that's true, just talk to someone who's been betrayed by a spouse, who's been diagnosed with cancer, or anyone who's watched someone they love, a friend, a family, a spouse, wither and die. Ask them and they'll tell you that When they got devoted to prayer, something happened there that doesn't happen anywhere else. They got encouragement. They got wisdom, guidance, strength, forgiveness in prayer. I always run into people when I say something like that who go, you know what, I would love to pray regularly, but I just don't know how to pray. How do I start? And I ran across a structure for prayer this week that I think is just simple and brilliant at the same time. Never seen it before. And it treats prayer more like an ordinary conversation between two people. And so you just start by saying, good morning, Lord. It's me. I mean, it's always good to remind God who he's talking to, right? Okay. Good morning, Lord. It's me. This is my situation I'm facing today. And you just explain it. This is how I feel about the situation. I need your help, God. What should I do? And then you just sit quietly. That's a part of prayer. And as you're sitting quietly, you're sorting through, what are the action steps that are driven by my fear or my own agenda? And what are the steps that God is prompting me by his Holy Spirit that I really need You can change it up a little bit or add to it. God, I'm concerned about these people in my life. And you name names. God, I'm concerned about them because of this. What should I do? And you listen. God, here's what's coming up in my day. In my calendar, I've got these meetings. I've got these conversations. I've got these tough emails I've got to write and send. God, 
I have all this stuff in my day. Guide me in this conversation. Guide me in this process, in this call. And in whatever you've prayed in this, you just wrap up by saying, thanks God for listening. I'm counting on you today. It's an expression of our faith that God will meet his promises in our life. And all of that's found in the app, uh, in the church app, in the message notes sections. It's just a very simple way to pray. And it's not that it's a, a better way than any other. There's no bad way to pray to God. My son has this habit of calling me every day or two on his way to or from work. I don't remember a single time that I've ever hung up from a conversation with him, whether it was five minutes or 35 minutes, where I hung up the phone and I went, well, he could have done that better, right? Every time he calls, I'm just grateful to hear his voice and what's going on in his life. If I could get you to capture that one thought about prayer, that would be the best thing you could take away. God is just thrilled to hear the sound of your voice and to have a conversation with you. He loves it when we talk to him. So how's your prayer life? One to five, are you dabbling, struggling to find a way to pray on a regular basis? Do you find yourself praying a lot when there's a crisis in your life or a problem to solve and then fading out as things get better? Or are you devoted? Not that you're perfect at it, but that you have this regular routine to surrender your day. A regular routine to express your gratitude to God. One to five. Now here's the hard part about a message like this. Is I think every one of us could quite easily walk away from this morning with two different thoughts in our head. Some of you right now are sitting there looking at how you've rated yourself and how you're doing in your relationship with God. And honestly, the one thing you want to write next to it is just a big hashtag fail. Because you're struggling. And so I don't want you to walk away with your notes loaded with discouragement. We can also look at this and be encouraged to do something more and turn this into a spiritual to-do list. We leave today with a longer list of guilt-inducing tasks than we came in with. And that's not the point either. But it's our human tendency when we hear something like this to want to try harder and do better. And it is going to take our effort, but it's not about that. Rather than a checklist, these practices are an invitation to simply be with Jesus. To live life differently than we've been living it. Maybe in a way that we've never lived it before. It's an invitation from Jesus. Here are his own words from Matthew 11. He says, look, are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me. Work with me. Watch how I do it. And learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Just keep company with me. And you'll learn to live freely and lightly. I think that's a prayer that we would all offer. God, help us to live the unforced rhythms of grace freely and lightly.
maybe you've thought through this this morning and you've realized it's time to do a reset in your relationship with God. But I want to encourage you as you do that reset to remember it's, it's simply a call to walk with Jesus, to watch him, to spend time with him so he can reset your character and your relationship with him and help you learn those unforced rhythms of grace.